Hi, everyone. I'm Shelly Cameron, and you're listening to our podcast, Taking Off, where we give you an insider's view into all things aviation. March is Women's History Month. Because this annual national observance commemorates the vital role that women play in American history, I thought it was the perfect occasion to celebrate women pioneers in aviation, like Harriet Quimby, Bessie Coleman, the Betsy Ross Air Corps, Helen Ritchie, Amelia Earhart, just to name a few. It's because of the path paved by these amazing women that my next guest and I were able to pursue and advance in a career in aviation. I hope that our discussion about women in this exciting field and what brought us to where we are today will provide insight and maybe even inspire others to follow in our footsteps. Joining me for this episode is CEO of the Cincinnati Northern Kentucky International Airport and my friend, Candace McGraw. Candace, thanks so much for being here for this very special session. Well, thanks for having me, Shelley. I'm looking forward to it. Candace, I know you don't always like to talk about yourself, and goodness knows I don't like to talk about myself, but I thought maybe we could go out of our comfort zone a little bit today and talk about our journey, how we got to where we are and some of the, the obstacles and challenges that we faced, but, but also I think how amazing this aviation career has been for both of us. If you could start maybe by telling our listeners a little bit about how you got started and how you were bitten by the aviation bug. It is an amazing, amazing profession. I know you and I both talk about the the blessings that we have received from being in this field. So I would encourage everybody to get into this field. So the way I became involved is I started my career as a lawyer. I was one of those kids who went to college and law school thinking I was going to go to Washington and change the world. I was going to be a good public policy wonk and write all the injustices. I instead, when I went to law school, I met and married my husband, and then we had to get practical very quickly because we had then had our first son. So we moved from Pittsburgh to Cleveland, and I joined the city of Cleveland's law department. So like Philadelphia, the Cleveland airport is owned and operated by the city, and I handled municipal law, but the airport became one of my clients. And as you said, I I was bitten by the aviation bug. I really enjoyed the work. I enjoyed the public sector component, right? Because we're in this business to serve our communities and drive goodness for our regions. But I also enjoyed the private sector element of figuring out how to manage a really complex business. So I worked in Cleveland for a lot of years, and then I've been here in Cincinnati about 12 years, the last almost 11 of which I've been CEO. And I'm really sorry about the Super Bowl, by the way. I was rooting for the Bengals. Well, thank you, Huday. We will be back. We hadn't traditionally been as strong football community as the Philadelphia Eagles, but we're getting there. It was an amazing run. Yeah, you you talked about how, you know, especially when you work for a city owned and operated airport, how the community comes first, It, it, it leads everything that we do. And it's wonderful how we get ingrained in everything that's going on in our communities. And I was just Having been through the, the Eagles Super Bowl run a few years ago, I was thinking about how much fun you were having in Cincinnati. It was great fun. I think it really is an honor 
to to be in this role at the airport. And I know you feel the same in Philadelphia, right? Because it is a chance to tell the story of your region, you know, for the passengers that come in and through the terminal, how do you talk about all the riches of your community, but also then to go out to the rest of the world and connect globally. You know, here we talk a lot about our job isn't really just to move people in boxes. Our job is to drive economic prosperity in this community. And we I always say, our job is about putting roofs overhead and braces on kids' teeth. It's it's being good employment centers. That's a great way to put it. I never thought about putting it that way. I always say our job is to connect people and to facilitate commerce. Same kind of concept, but yeah. So do you remember the first time you got on an airplane? I was younger. I wasn't a child, but I was probably, I mean, I was young. I would say maybe 10 or 11 years old. And we went to Florida for vacation and I grew up in Pittsburgh. So every year my family would all bundle into the car, inclusive of my great grandmother. And we would make that drive to Florida. There was a particular place where she liked to go every year and we would always take her. And it was really something when we got to go on the airplane the first time. Yeah. I remember, I remember the awe of coming to the airport. I remember getting on the plane not sure what this whole feeling of flight would would be like. It was, yeah, I do remember that special moment. How about you? So uh, yeah, I'm a little embarrassed to admit this, but I didn't get on an airplane until I was actually in college. I was a freshman in college. So imagine this, I accepted an Air Force ROTC scholarship. (laughs) So I was going to serve in the Air Force and I'd never even been on on a commercial or, or any other kind of airplane. I think it was one of those credit card offers. You got a credit card. They even had them back in the eighties. You got a credit card and you got, I think you could buy a plane ticket for $150. And I went to see a friend that I had made my freshman year in college. I flew to Pasadena, not to Pasadena airport, I think Burbank and went to the Rose Bowl parade and Rose Bowl with, with my friend. So that was my first trip. And I flew through Denver and I remember being scared to death when the plane was de-iced in Denver. Oh, oh, that's so funny. So you already though had accepted your ROTC scholarship at that point. I had. Yeah. And and so I know we've talked a lot about, I don't know if maybe on your podcast, you've already talked about how you ended up in the, for the air force. Yeah. I may have mentioned it a while ago, but yeah, (laughs) I had all three ROTC scholarships. Mom and dad were school teachers and there was just no way to pay for college unless I took an ROTC scholarship. So I had all three of them, Army, Navy, Air Force. I always say that it's a true story because it really is. We could call my mom. She said, you can't go in the Army. You don't look good in green. And we did any, mini money mo between the Navy and the Air Force. And the Air Force won. And that is why I'm in aviation. I, I think that's such a great story. But I think it also goes to the point of, you know, I'm sort of in aviation accidentally, right? I never... Mm-hmm thought of this as a career. I think you you certainly hadn't thought nope. about this, but it's an amazing career. Yeah, we both had the opportunity to be just really great people, develop good friendships, see fabulous places. And what a ride. Oh my God, what a ride. You know, because I don't know how many people know this, but you and I both grew up, I grew up near Pittsburgh, you grew up in Pittsburgh. And for a, a small town, Southwestern Pennsylvania girl to think about the ride that I have been on, I, I don't think I could have imagined it. Yeah, no, I, I often think about that. 
We're both privileged to be on our trade association world board. We've both had the opportunity to travel around the globe. I know you did extensively with the Air Force as well. I sometimes sit in these meetings and I look around and I say, wow, I have come a long way from a little small suburb of Pittsburgh to seeing the sites and doing what we've been able to do in our professions. You know, I know we both have had challenges too, as we've we've gone on this journey. Can you give an example of a challenge that you faced and, and how you overcame it by being a woman in, in this field? Interestingly enough, when I started at the Cleveland airport, my then boss, the woman who ran the airport, there was a woman running the airport. Her successor was another woman running the airport. Wow. So this was this was late 80s, then into the early 90s. And I had no idea at the time how rare that was. Right. I had seen strong female role models in those positions. Well, then, you know, the more I became infused in the industry and the broader my view was into the industry, I realized that that was not always the case. So then I moved here to Cincinnati, as I said, about 12 years ago, they had not had a similar history to Cleveland of having women in roles like this. And so there was some challenge at times where what you would call the good old boys were the good old boys. Mm-hmm. And I have jokingly said, I didn't realize that I was a, a girl till I moved to this part of the world. Right. And so I think the challenge was earning my stripes all over again. And part of it was coming to a new area where I had no, people didn't know my body of work. So you have to prove yourself over again, kind of earn the respect and trust of your colleagues and other stakeholders and I just think it was a little bit of a challenge because they weren't used to seeing a woman in that role. So I, I started my aviation career in the Air Force for seven years and then worked at the Metropolitan Washington Airports Authority. And my sec- third job when I was there was I went to Dulles Airport as the manager. I think it was financial management administration was the title. I worked for the airport director. I was thrilled. I mean, I was just thrilled. It was, I, I was taking the, the position of the guy that hired me a few years before and was really excited. And I got an email from someone who was downtown at the headquarters. And she said, I just want to let you know that a lot of us are really proud of you and we're watching you. And, you know, when I'm reading this, I'm going, oh, you know, because I don't know that I always thought about that, right? That, that people were watching me. And she went on in the email to say, you're the first woman to ever get to that level at either airport. To this day, there still hasn't been an airport director at either Dulles or National Airport that was a woman. Since me, there have been others who have made it to that level. But I was floored that in, I don't even remember the year, 2002, three, something like that, that I was the first woman to, to make it to that level. I felt really, again, use, use the word honored. But I also, I felt a lot of weight because I don't know that I realized that people were watching. It's it's interesting when you talk about the weight. I have never felt the weight of being the woman until recently. You and I both serve on the world board for our trade association at Airport Council International. So I recently agreed to be, to put my name in to be vice chair and I was elected vice chair of the board. I did that solely because there has not been a woman sharing that board. 
And there was not a woman that has ever served as the chair of one of the larger industry associations globally. And I did that out of a sense of obligation to step in as a woman because I wanted to be able to, for other people, particularly women in, in some of our developing nations where the tradition in aviation for women is not deep, to serve in that role, to be a visual reminder that this is a marvelous profession for both men and women. I'm so glad that you did that. I'm relatively new to the world board. You and I have served on the North America board for for quite a while. And for our listeners who may not know, Candace is the immediate past chair of ACI North America. You know, you're the one who pulled me into the trade association and I'm now the current vice chair and and hopefully we'll follow in your footsteps to to be chair of the board for North America. But when you did it for the world, it was, I I don't know if you could see around the room when we were at, at the meeting last fall, every woman who was there, there was just a sense of pride. And I don't know if it was you or somebody else that pointed out, I guess you're the vice chair now and the vice chairs of, of how many other regions are women now? Yeah, no, it's phenomenal to me. I'm so excited about this. So when I become chair of the world board in 2023, you will be chair of the North American region. There will be a woman who is the chair of the Latin American region and a woman who is chair of the African region. So out of the five regions of the world, there'll be three women and then the chair. I, I think it is a going to be a phenomenal visual and our opportunity to talk about how we interact and, and what that means for the industry. I truly can't wait. And I think that we have a couple years now to think about this, but I, I think we truly need to celebrate it because our industry is still very much male dominated. Yeah, no, I agree wholeheartedly. And I, I have been starting to think a lot about that and what we can do with that and how we should have some conversation because, you know, when you, you mentioned, you know, I, I dragged you into the ranks of leadership with our North American association. That was because there was another woman, our colleague, Maureen Riley, who used to run the Salt Lake city airport did that for me. And she said, how about setting this up? And I think particularly during women's history month, we have to realize if you have a seat at the table, you have to lean in and use it, but you also have to bring another chair along for another woman. I think it's, it's very important. I absolutely agree. And and could you talk about that? You know, I know there was, there was a moment when, when you looked around and went, oh my gosh, we need to do better. And I hate to say it, but it was, it was when I became chair of North America, you were chair of the fine, became chair of the finance committee. Mm -hmm. But I looked around and there weren't, I think there was maybe one other woman on the board and it was startling to me that that happened. And I wanted to be very mindful and intentional of setting up a pipeline to make sure other women were included, that we really set some organizational parameters in place on how we nominated individuals or sought out folks to participate. Because I really do think 
you know, kind of the old adage, you have to see it to be it. I think, yeah. I think it's important to make sure all voices are heard at the table, men, women, we talk a lot about making sure we're racially inclusive. I want to make sure we're inclusive of kind of various small airports, large airports, different parts of the country. Only then can we build a stronger industry and a better representation of what airports can mean in this country. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. And, and yeah, I remember you saying that to me and I looked around and I went, Oh my gosh, you know, have we been in this industry for so long that we just didn't even notice? I felt that moment of, Oh, you know, yeah, we need to, we need to make sure that we're always thinking about including people of color and women in, in those very important roles. In North America, we, I guess there are more than 400 airports represented. And for the World Association, more than 90% of all commercial airports worldwide are represented through ACI World. So that's a pretty big stage that, that it's important to get the appearances right on. A hundred percent, right? I believe it's over 4,000 airport members in 185 countries. And yep. so I do think the ability to use that world stage for the discussion of inclusivity is so important. Let's switch gears for a minute and talk. I, you know, I'm so tired of talking about COVID, but I do want to ask one question and you know, your experiences in Cincinnati during, during COVID, what are some things that stand out to you? Biggest challenges, things that surprised you? How did you keep morale up? You know, anything that you'd, you'd like to add, because I think there are lessons, even though we're tired of talking about it, we should, we should still cover as we move forward. The biggest takeaway for me was I was, I was thankful that I had been in my role a while, had built a rapport of trust with my team members. Because going into this, if you recall back in March of 2020, we all thought maybe it was going to be a couple months of, of this, right? None of us had, who thought we'd be still talking about this, you know, two years on. But I think the, particularly in those early days when so much was unknown, to be able to be authentic with your team and say, we'll make decisions this is the best information we have now, but let's, let's all pull together. And everybody did. Right. And I think I was so proud of the team we had here for getting the work done, focusing on safety, but focusing on keeping the airport open for those people that had to travel. And here we have a very large cargo presence and being able to get the goods in and out, particularly around vaccines, supply chain issues, et cetera. And the team all pulled together and did everything, and then some that was asked of them. And it was a really proud moment. So coming off of this, or as hopefully as this is starting to fade out, people I know are getting tired. They're get physically getting tired. How do we keep that momentum going to get us over the finish line here? Oh, I, I couldn't agree with you more. You know, you brought up your cargo operation. Why don't you brag a little bit and tell our listeners about what you've done to, to grow cargo in Cincinnati? Yeah, well, it was years ago, we were a large hub for one of the airlines. Through airline mergers, that changed, right? And we ended up having to change course a bit, right? And we, we had to attract new air service, but it also made us look around on how to diversify our business. We are blessed here to have 7,700 acres within, in the control of the airport, many of which were undeveloped. DHL had a presence on our campus and we worked with them really to continue to grow that presence. So we are their largest 
operation in North America. So we are the DHL Global Super Hub for the Americas. Across the street from them, Amazon just opened up their mega hub for the U.S. So right now we're the seventh largest cargo airport in North America that will grow exponentially over the course of the number of years. And particularly during the pandemic, it was a great source of business here. They never stopped. Cargo here has doubled between 2015 and 2020, and that will only continue to grow, right? Our January was the all-time best in the history of the airport, and it will just continue to grow from there. DHL now has about 5,000 people on our campus. Amazon has 2,100, and, and they'll continue to grow. So good source of jobs and, and future business here. Oh, that's fantastic. Congratulations. And you've got great geography and, and you were able to look at the asset that you had and, and really make the most of it. And I, I think that's just a phenomenal business leader example for everyone to take a look at, whether it's an airport being run by a woman or not. The effort here was to say, what assets do we have and what can we use in the best way possible? I know you're doing that in Philadelphia. I know you're leaning into cargo as well. I think it's, like I said, a great source of business. Certainly e-commerce is going to continue to grow. And for those of us who have the ability to get into that space, I think it's a smart move. We have less than 3,000 acres at PHL though, so we're a little more constrained than Cincinnati's, but really kudos to you for having that vision and seeing the potential for the community. It's really fabulous. Well, thank you. Nothing like a little crisis to make people pull together and right and figure out how do you manage out of that. Here, here. So where do you see aviation going? We're starting to do a lot of work here around the UAS situation. We're starting to look at urban air mobility. We're starting to look at what does the future look like? I don't know if, you know, that's the whole notion around EVTOLs. And for those of listeners, right, it's those sort of Jetson-like little aircraft that fit between, say, two and seven people. We're starting to take a look at that and do some work around it. I don't know when and how it'll come. It will certainly be a disruptor in the industry. So we're, we're trying to figure that out. I think cargo is certainly here to stay with, with e-commerce. And passenger carries, I have to say, I hope people get back to work and get back up in the air. I would love to see the business travel bounce back the way it needs to. You know, one of the things we've been talking about a lot at PHL is how we can't just look at what we did before and think that that's the way we're going to come back for the future. And so we've started this whole new innovation part of our organization. And, you know, we don't have a ton of resources, but when I look at our people and the ideas and the knowledge, and you talked about your team, I feel the same way when they bring their ideas to the table and talk about how they can do things differently. It's really amazing. You've done a lot of innovative things during COVID as well. Could you give a couple examples? Sure. So we stood up an innovation department here a few years ago. This was even pre-pandemic. And we had somebody on our team here who was, you know, I think brilliant and innovative. And I told him he was full of wackadoo ideas. And I said, how would you like to be our chief innovation officer? And his response to me was, sounds fun, but what's the job description? I said, I have no idea anything you anything you want it to be because it was sort of uncharted territory. But some of the things we've done have been things that seem very simple and apparent, but we struck a deal with a company called Taskwatch, working with Samsung and another local company 
and taking your wearable and putting sensors above our restroom doors. And after a certain number of people enter into our enter into the restroom, our housekeepers would get a notification to go clean that restroom. And then they've been able to put sensors within the, all of the paper dispensers and the soap dispensers. So our, our housekeeping folks can go in real time to provide great customer service. And it's also given us really good data around passenger usage, passenger wayfinding, where they use facilities. And then we've been able to transfer that into asset management on when and how are we going to repair the restroom? So that's a simple thing. Again, working a lot in the aerial space right now. And we've also partnered with a company that's been trialing an autonomous bag tug on our airport. Oh, wow. So, yeah. It was a Korean company that located in the area that was focusing on the vehicle space, regular vehicle. We said, there's a lot of companies in that space. What if we got you on the air side and started trialing bag cart or, you know, and so that's sort of taking off and they're actually going through some fundraising right now with some venture firms. Oh, that's fantastic. What a great idea. I've got to go back to your bathroom example, though. Did you ever in your life think you'd be talking so much about bathrooms? <laughs> I never did. You know, um, I know we've, we've talked about this before. Like It takes up an inordinate amount of our conversations about what is the latest technologies around restrooms and how should restrooms should be designed. We kind of threw the gauntlet down before COVID, but said, okay, almost everybody who comes through an airport uses the restroom. They might buy food. They might not. They might shop. They might not. Everybody gets on a plane or gets off a plane and uses your, your bathrooms. And so our bathrooms were really in dire need of an overhaul. So we threw the gauntlet down and said, by 2026, which is the 250th anniversary of the United States of America. And goodness, we hope a lot of people will be coming to Philadelphia to celebrate. We are going to have all of our restrooms renovated. But it's just a heck of a challenge. And, you know, you talked about the technology that you're incorporating in your bathrooms. We're testing some stuff that we hope will be part of our next phase of restroom renovations. Well, you know, on this whole restroom topic, though, I thought that Salt Lake City did something very smart. I heard when they did their new terminal is they set up a mock restroom and tested various things within the terminal and had people comment on them or had their employees comment on them. And then were able to tweak the design based on that before they went full bore with their new restroom layout. I know. I think that was really smart. We copied them because we are an industry of copycats, right? (laughs) And we didn't do a public facing restroom, but we installed a number of different kinds of sinks and had our custodial and building maintenance teams test them and look and see what they thought would be the easiest to maintain and clean. You know, it's one thing to put in a fancy new restroom, but if you can't keep it looking that way, what was it worth? So yeah, yeah. No, very smart, right? You have to get in the buy-in of people who are going to maintain them, clean them, et cetera, because that'll make or break. You're a hundred percent right. It, for multi-millions of dollars, you want to get the best life out of that investment. All right. So I always do a wild card question at the end when I'm interviewing individuals, not too much of a wild card, but we can even try a couple different ones to see which one you like. If you could travel back in time and give one piece of advice to your 20 year old self, I'm sure you've answered this question before. What would it be and why? So something I wish I would have learned a long time ago that I only recently learned within the last 
several years. So I would look around, particularly at women who you'd say, gee, they have it all. Great husband, great family, beautiful home, fabulous career. And you go, wow, they have it all. So I was at a dinner a few years ago, and I was with some very high powered, successful women who seemingly look as if they have it all. And I threw that question out and I said, all right, so how do you ladies do it? How do you have it all? Because frankly, I'm struggling. And they kind of laughed. And the answer I got back was, you can have it all, but maybe not all at the same time. Very rarely, you know, do you have where your personal life, your family situation is running on all cylinders at the same time, your career is running all cylinders and that they all match up. I think we should all give ourselves a little bit of a a little grace that it is not always going to be picture perfect all the time where everything meshes and it, it, we can have it all, but maybe not always all at the same time. That is really great advice. I know that you have children while you've been working. I have not, although I do have a puppy now. Lucy just spent her first week at home. And and she's cute as can be. I saw her picture. I love Lucy. I think Paul loves her even more, but she knows her name. She's learning how to sit and the, the housebreaking we're working on. But you had children. How did you balance those two things? You know, going back to that piece of advice you got at that dinner. Yeah, no, look, I never balanced very well. Frankly, that was always my struggle. I don't know if anybody really ever gets the right balance, right? Because sometimes I'd be at work and you'd be thinking about whatever was going on at home, or I'd be at home and I never, I never missed any of my children's events. But I can tell you, I wasn't truly present a lot of the time. So Again, I, the older I get, I realize I should have given myself a little more grace. And I try to tell other women that of maybe don't carry so much guilt or burden because you're just doing the best you can. So Candace, it's, it's amazing that you're going to move into the chair position for ACI world, but we had a woman running ACI world for a number of years. Could you tell our listeners about Angela Gittins and what an amazing woman she is? So Angela Gittins is a legend in our industry, a fabulous leader who happens to be a woman and who happens to be African-American. And she was the director general of ACI World, which is the top leading official of that organization for about a dozen years. And Angela could command a room like none other. And she did it just through her professionalism, her quiet expertise, But I think she was amazing or is amazing. She recently retired, but she's amazing in so many ways. And she's brought so many people into this industry. I know you and I have both benefited from her knowledge, expertise, guiding hand, and that she would whisper in people's ear about stepping into leadership roles, pushing us into leadership roles. As you well know, she ran some of the largest airports in the U.S., inclusive of Atlanta and Miami, and she had big roles at San Francisco. And she has been an amazing leader on a world stage for a lot of years. And I, and a lot of us owe her a huge debt of gratitude. Absolutely. She, she did exactly that to me. I remember she said one day, you're amazing. You need to be running an airport. And I don't know that I had even thought about it until she said it. Yeah. A lot, a lot of fabulous women in this industry that really help one another. And Angela's favorite drink is? 
a dirty martini, blue cheese olives. She has made that my favorite drink as well. Absolutely. Couldn't do this episode without mentioning that. Well, look, Candace, I just want to say thank you for the amazing example you've set for me and other women and other leaders, period, no matter what gender they are. And for all of the advice and talks along the way, it's, it's really great to know that we've been on part of this amazing journey together and that we've been able to, to forge a friendship through it. Yeah, that's so kind of you to say, you know, I feel equally wonderful about you. The people of Philadelphia should know they have an amazing leader in you. Not only you know, wicked smart, of course, but just hugely compassionate and caring and giving and they matter and your community matters to you. You talk about that a lot. I know your team matters to you a lot. And I think certainly this industry will benefit enormously when you take over as chair of ACI North America. I think those folks in Philadelphia need to know what a gem you are. Oh, thanks, Candace. Right back at you. To learn more about Candace and Cincinnati Northern Kentucky International Airport, please visit cvgairport.com. And to learn more about Philadelphia International Airport, please visit phl.org slash newsroom. I'm Shelley Cameron, and thank you to all of our listeners. Mm-hmm.